Step inside the fictional bookshop, an immersive storytelling experience for book lovers. Explore the first chapter of your new favorite book, from epic adventures to fantastic worlds to cozy characters. This week, the fictional bookshop has a copy of The Girl Who Talks to Ashes by Rachel Renner, a haunting tale of time-bending, sleuthing, and spooky vibes. A light drizzle assails you as you head back from the apple orchard, cursing yourself for forgetting your umbrella. You shift the bag of apples in your grip so you can put your hood up against the rain. You try to walk under the eaves and awnings of shops you pass to avoid the increasing precipitation. The smell of wet leaves permeates the air as you pass under a large maple tree, the leaves a painter's palette of green, yellow, and orange. The rain has knocked some of the unfortunate ones to the ground, looking like splattered paint on the sidewalk and street. A gust of wind rustles the tree, drenching you in fat raindrops, and you shiver, looking around for a place to get out of the rain. Your gaze lands on a shop across the street, yellow light blazing from its windows, and books lining the shelves inside. You dash across the empty street, bag of apples jostling in your grip, and head for the door. A bell jingles as you enter. After wiping your feet on the doormat, you lift your hood off your head to look around. The smell of books, old and new, mixes intoxicatingly with the scent of the autumn rain as you wander down the first row of books by the mullioned windows. After glancing at the pumpkins in the window, you decide you're in the mood for something spooky. A book catches your eye, and you pull it off the shelf. There's some chairs at the end of the row, so you settle in to read. Prologue, Rotten Apples Fifteen-year-old Willow was terrified of her newborn Lila from the very beginning. It wasn't just the recurrent seizures which would grip her baby's tiny little body and contort her wrinkled face, still pale and peeling from the womb. It was the strange things that would happen during those seizures, the strange things that would happen to anything or anyone unfortunate enough to be nearby. She first noticed this peculiarity when Lila was just a few weeks old and her eyes began to glaze over. Bone tired and delirious after yet another sleepless night, Willow stifled a sob, bracing herself for what she knew would happen to Lila next. A disconcerting tick of her right eye, a sudden stiffening of her arms and legs, and a series of spasms that would ripple across her diminutive limbs like shockwaves. All of these things occurred just as the last 13 episodes Willow had suffered through since Lila had been brought into the world, delivered in a plastic waiting pool on her grandmother's kitchen floor. What Willow wasn't expecting at that moment was for the half-eaten apple resting on her nightstand to crumble apart without provocation or cause, shriveling into a moldy, stinking pile of decay. As Lila convulsed on her lap, staring straight ahead with wide, dilated pupils that seemed to focus on nothing at all, Willow stared at the maggots wriggling atop the putrid slop in horror, scrubbing the sleep from her eyes as she choked on a cry that had lodged itself against her windpipe. By the time Willow had found her voice, shrill and etched with panic, and her own mother, clad in curlers and a hastily cinched robe, had come barreling down the stairs, the mound of rotting pulp had once more returned to a plump, shiny apple. While Celeste gripped the banister and tried to catch her breath, her daughter's blood-curdling screams had woken her from a deep and pleasant sleep, Willow was blustering something about worms and Lila having yet another fit, but there the child was, resting peacefully in Willow's arms. With an indigent huff, Celeste snatched the infant from her hysterical daughter, instructing her to drink a mug of lime flower tea and get some sleep at once. Though Willow prayed, 
fervent, desperate pleas that she whispered to the ceiling while her daughter slept in the handmade cradle beside her bed, the child's peculiarities didn't stop there. With every subsequent seizure that week, steaming concoctions of herbs would evaporate, hot poria and wild yam soup would turn sour and black, and fresh bouquets of lavender would shrivel to dust. Though everything returned to its natural state the moment the baby stilled, each episode brought untold terror to Lila's young mother, who would cry out for help, only to find that help always arrived a moment too late. Having never witnessed Willow's unsettling claims firsthand, Celeste could only balk at the teenager's tears. She really had no sympathy for the girl who had brought this situation upon herself by being rash and foolish. Furthermore, she was certain that the hallucinations stemmed from a tainted spirit and Willow's own negative energy. She would simply have to try harder to overcome those things. And so, despite the fact that Lila's seizures continued and Willow's hysteria worsened by the day, hospitalization for either one of them was simply out of the question. No doctor or pharmaceutical drug could cure such ailments better than herbal and spiritual remedies. Willow's mother continued to insist, each day more emphatically than the last. Late one night, after changing the baby's diaper on the bathroom floor, Willow stood up and regarded her tired reflection in the medicine cabinet. Once pretty and full of smiles, she now grimaced at the stranger staring back at her. The stranger with limp oily hair and purple circles beneath her sunken eyes. The stranger who had left her friends and her former life behind when she fled to another state to raise a baby that she never wanted in the first place. As she gazed at herself, narrow shoulders slumped beneath the heavy weight of self-pity, she failed to notice the baby beginning to seize on the pink bathroom rug. Therefore, it caught Willow entirely by surprise when the taut, smooth skin of her cheeks abruptly shriveled, clinging to her skull as faint brown spots appeared across the loose, crepe-like skin on her neck. As her long, auburn ponytail blanched to shock white and her hair began to tumble out in snowy clumps, Willow cried out hoarsely, nearly stumbling over Lila, whose round, hazel eyes were glazed and far away as she threw herself away from the splintering mirror. By the time Celeste burst through the bathroom door, Willow was sobbing on the cold, moldy tile, clutching her youthful cheeks and babbling some nonsense about being an old hag while her poor baby cried from the bathroom sink. Celeste snatched her wailing granddaughter from the basin, feeling her hot temper flaring in her cheeks. "'What is the matter with you?' she hissed, straining to keep her voice low. They'd barely lived in that house for a month, and already Willow's unmistakable wailing had thrice attracted the attention of neighbors, much to Celeste's shame and chagrin. To think she had worried it would be the baby's wails that would tip them off to Lila's existence. Every time they came over unannounced, it posed yet another risk of them discovering her daughter's child. Her lips pursed with contempt as she regarded the hysterical teenager, still curled up on the bathroom floor, whimpering. Why do you continue to carry on like this? We've burnt sage, rosemary, lavender. I even brought in Shaman Mike to chant for your healing, which you know was no small feat given his book tour schedule. I've given you every sacred herb imaginable, from dandelion root to Japanese kelp. Ow, Lila, don't grab Grammy's hair, she scolded, setting the infant back down in the sink. Do you know how much that tiny jar of kelp cost us? How many hours I had to work at the factory to make up for it? Mm, Mom. Willow started, pointing at Lila, who had once more gone rigid. Don't interrupt me, Willow. Frankly, I'm starting to think your constant need for attention. Ah! Ah! Willow's bloodshot eyes widened in horror as her mother's harangue abruptly turned to shrill screams. Celeste had just noticed her right hand, the one that had been slapping the countertop for emphasis, had become withered and gray, its paper-thin flesh rotting away at the knuckles to expose glimpses of bone beneath. She screamed and screamed, and Willow screamed and screamed, and the baby screamed and screamed, and together their screams combined to create a piercing cacophony of terror and confusion. 
It woke the neighbors, three miniature pinchers, who howled alongside them from the next house over, mistaking their panicked wails for a friendly hello. It didn't matter that the skin on Celeste's hand returned to its plump, creamy complexion just moments later. After that night, she swore she would never touch that baby again, and she never did. The next morning, baby Lila, swathed in garlands of sage, oregano, and dill, was left in her cradle alongside a bowl of Indian turmeric and pasteurized goat's milk, while her frantic grandmother scoured piles of sacred texts and cookbooks for answers. She directed her feelings, several at a time, to a rather flustered willow who was running around the little house attempting to implement the various sacraments just so. Along with white sage, lemon blueberry-scented candles burned on the coffee table beside a store-bought Ouija board and a pink iridescent quartz crystal that Shaman Mike had left to assist with negative chi. As Celeste shifted her attention from the mystical herb pamphlets to the yellow pages where she was attempting to locate a nearby shaman in Mike's absence, Willow's childhood tabby cat sauntered in through the open window, attracted by the bowl of warmed goat's milk resting a few inches away from the baby. Mangy, nearly blind, and missing an ear from its numerous neighborhood fights, the old cat jumped in Lila's cradle, lapping at the orange-tinted concoction with an entitled air. Unfortunately, it was at that exact moment that Lila's happy gurgles broke off, disrupted by her first seizure of the day. Before Willow could cry scat, the poor cat was dead. A fetid, decomposing pile of bones and fur resting on the crumbled remnants of a time-worn fleece blanket. Willow clamped her hands over her open mouth to stifle a scream, her eyes bulging above her fingertips. The gruesome scene lay just inches from the baby, but she didn't dare go near the child, not while her round eyes stared at nothing and her body was rigid. Celeste stared wordlessly from the kitchen table, letting the phone book drop from her fingers to the linoleum floor without a second glance. After a long moment, the baby's fit passed, and both the cat and the blanket returned to their previous intact condition, but the animal didn't move. Moments became minutes, and minutes eventually became hours. By late afternoon, Willow had to accept that her poor Pebbles was gone, his early morning yowls never to be heard again. Tears burning her eyes, she carefully laid his blanket-wrapped body in an old Sears shoebox and left it under the back porch with a little prayer, as well as several handfuls of his favorite brand of tuna-flavored cat food just beside the box, just in case. That night, well after the last bedroom light in the neighborhood had been flicked off and the moon had once more sunk below the horizon, Willow and her mother wrapped Lila in the warmest blankets they could find, pinned a note beneath her chin, and left her on the doorstep of the fire station two towns over. Their van was found on the side of the freeway the next morning, the key in the ignition and the engine still running. Willow and Celeste had never made it back home that night. Rumors and wild conjectures churned through their small town, whose inhabitants scarcely knew their reclusive neighbors, but no one was able to provide the chief of police any leads. As for the baby, only the traveling shaman knew of her existence, for Celeste had delivered her granddaughter herself in hopes of hiding her young daughter's shameful deeds. And so, with no clues to link their disappearance, and no record of Lila ever having existed, no one ever found out what had happened to the three of them. After a few years, their names were forgotten altogether. Time has a way of doing that. Chapter 1. Secrets Dad? Lila asked, waving a hand at her father across the kitchen table. Hello, Earth to Stanley, do you copy? Chief Stanley Quinn had been staring at the same headline in the morning newspaper for the last five minutes, though he hadn't registered a single word of it. His thoughts were elsewhere. Hmm? 
He glanced at his daughter over the top of the Triforks Tribunal. She was arching an exasperated eyebrow at him. I was wondering if I could possibly, maybe, hopefully have a late curfew tonight, she asked, flashing him that innocent smile of hers. That got his attention. He sighed, then folded up the paper he hadn't been reading anyway. It's a school night lie. Since when is Friday a school night? Well, I'm sure you have plenty of homework. You've got, what, two weeks of school left before winter break? I finished it. All of it? he asked, arching a bushy eyebrow. Lila sighed, then started ticking subjects off on her long, slender fingers, the nails of which had been painted sour apple green. Algebra 2, no homework because there was an exam yesterday, which I totally aced, she added in a tone that was rather more confident than she felt about it. English was analyzing a poem by Robert Frost. Is it destiny? Is it free will? Is it maybe just a road that goes in two different directions? For world history, we had to read a chapter on Marie Antoinette. Spoiler alert, she won't have to worry about those recurring headaches for long. Okay, okay, I get the point. Stanley rubbed the bridge of his nose, trying to invent another plausible reason for enforcing Lila's strict nine o'clock curfew. It didn't help that he was trying to function on a measly three hours of sleep after some hooligan had pulled the fire alarm at school in the middle of the night. Look, Lie. Dad, I already know what you're going to say, she interrupted, her hazel eyes twinkling. So let me save you the effort, since you're obviously tired this morning. I'm not. Your shirt's on inside out, she pointed, rising from the table to grab the pastries that had just popped up from the toaster. Her father gaped at his collar indignantly. Anyway, it's not a party or anything like that. We're just having a sci-fi movie marathon at Seth's house, and there won't be any drugs or alcohol apart from heroin. Very funny, he grunted from beneath his flannel shirt, which he was struggling to yank past his bushy beard without unbuttoning the collar. Will his mother be home? Uh-huh, Lila replied, wrapping one of the blue frosted Pop-Tarts in a paper towel to save for later. So what's going on in the world of sci-fi these days? You'd know if you ever got out of the station. I will, he replied as he turned his shirt right side out. As soon as fires learn to put themselves out and the stacks of paper on my desk are magically processed by taxpayer-funded fairies. Do you mind using a glass for that? Sorry, Lila wiped a drop of milk from her chin. She put the carton back in the refrigerator, then grabbed the plate with Stanley's Pop-Tart from the counter. Anyway, yes, Seth's mom will be home. I'll be with the one boy at my school who's more interested in fashion than girls, and I have my medication. She patted the pocket in her jeans where a small bottle of little blue pills rattled. That seemed to pacify her father somewhat. Lila set his Pop-Tart down in front of him, her eyes darting away from the wide scar that puckered across the back of his shoulder. When he finally tugged his shirt back over his head, he sighed in resignation. As much as he would have preferred to keep Lila under protective glass at all times, she was 16 years old, and a good kid, he had to admit. Far better than he had been at her age, anyway. Has it really been 30 years since I was in high school? The thought made him feel old, and so did the tired lecture he found himself repeating for the third time that month. Stanley let out a long sigh. What if you have a... an episode, he pressed. Seth's house is 20 minutes away from the hospital. Lila suppressed a groan. Dad, I haven't had a seizure since I was a kid. I don't even remember having them. It was so long ago. For all we know, I don't even need to be taking these pills anymore. You have to take them, he snapped, startling even himself. He glanced down at his cooling Pop-Tart, his appetite quickly vanishing. Sorry, Lila muttered, moving her half-eaten eggs around her plate glumly. Before Stanley could apologize for his outburst, a horn sounded from outside. That's Seth. I gotta go. I'll be back by midnight, okay? Love you, Dad. She gave his scruffy cheek a quick kiss before grabbing her backpack and heading out the back door. 
I love you too, kid, he replied, watching her head down the salted driveway. As Seth's beat-up blue Honda pulled away, Stanley Quinn's eyes were once again far away, remembering unsettling things he had tried very hard to forget over the years. You close the book, The Girl Who Talks to Ashes, by Rachel Renner, and glance out the window. The rain has turned to a fine mist in the darkening dusk, so you slip the book back onto the shelf where you found it and head for the door. The shopkeeper waves goodbye as they look up from a box of books behind the register. You dig into your apple bag and pull out a handful of the shiny red apples, setting them on the counter in thanks for the shelter and the start of a good story. You'll have to come back another time. Pulling your hood back up over your head, you head out into the misty twilight, apple bag in hand. Before heading back home, you turn back to look at the sign above the door, which reads, Fictional Bookshop. This has been Fictional Bookshop, a podcast by Liz Delton. For more about Liz, visit lizdelton.com. The Girl Who Talks to Ashes, copyright Rachel Renner, read with the author's permission. For more about the author, visit rachelrunner.com and check out the sequel slash prequel to this book, The Boy Who Lurks in Shadows, coming on October 17th. For more visits to the fictional bookshop, give us a follow and come back anytime to explore a new book. Next week, come back for a cozy fantasy perfect for autumn, a look inside All Hallows Airship by Liz Delton. 